0: they're all different types of knocks, right? You can agree with me, right? Because I'm about to tell you about a few. There are different types of knocks. Some of them are funny knocks, knock-knock jokes. Y'all want to try one? Sure, I've got you here. You've got to listen for a few minutes. Knock-knock. Hatch. Gazoon type. See, there you go. I'm sure my kids could tell you 10 more uh, that I would have forgotten. No, no, not Eli's ready. No, not right now. Uh, there are different types. There are funny knocks. There are knocks uh, patterns, right? Uh, maybe you can recognize this one. There you go. But do you know where that comes from? It's a tune. Shaving a haircut, two bits. Yeah, it came from somewhere over here. Yeah, somebody's got it. Uh, either that or I'm hearing voices, but that's a tune, and there's actually an interesting history behind that. You've heard it a million times. You probably don't even realize you're hearing it. The tag on the end of a song or uh, even TV shows that use it to go to commercial breaks. I mean, it's it's everywhere, and, and it was an early occurrence. Don't know where it really originally began, but in uh, 1899, a Charles Hale song at a dark town cakewalk is a, a very early occurrence of that tag of that tune, Shaving a Haircut Two Bits. It uh, You can hear it on car horns, customized car horns. You can hear it uh, knocked out like I just did, used as amateur uh, um, uh, radio folks will use it, Morse code. It's an easy Morse code to, to tap out. And actually, during the Vietnam War, there is a Vietnam veteran by the name of Doug Higdol. I think I pronounced that right, Higdol. Uh, was a prisoner of war and he talks about how when a new prisoner would come in they would use that to identify to make sure that the other guy was actually an American in the cell next to them and not a spy so one of them would knock out and if the guy on the other side knocked back they would know they was an American because it's it's a common thing, and so then they would begin to communicate uh, basically through knocking out the alphabet. But that's how they would use they would use that. So it's been used in different forms. Very interesting. Uh, again, uh, you know, at the end of of uh, TV shows or going to commercial breaks, the Beverly Hillbillies was one. It was, it's popular in bluegrass. Very popular tag at the end of a, a bluegrass song. Uh, as a matter of fact. Um, Earl Scruggs would use it quite a bit uh, Played out on the banjo or whatever And the, the Beverly Hillbillies, which would use a lot of bluegrass music Would use it a lot of times going to commercial breaks. So in different, different ways, we've seen that knock Or that tune turned into a knock play out So there are funny knocks There are what I consider, whether you thought that was interesting or not What I consider interesting knocks And there are scary knocks too, right? You're sitting at home In the middle of the night, somebody knocks on your door. What do you do? Your heart leaps out of your chest. It never fails. doesn't matter if it's nighttime. Even if I know somebody's coming and that knock, it's still, it's startling, right? It's unnerving uh, to hear that, especially in the middle of the night. So there are scary knocks. Well, we're going to talk about a knock today in Revelation chapter 3. It is not a funny knock. Um, It is very interesting, one that we need to learn from, but it's also a little unsettling. The knock that we read about. Jesus knocks on the door uh, of this church, and this is the last week of our series. We're finishing up, we're wrapping up our series this week uh, called 7, Jesus' Message to the Churches. And we've looked at each of his letters to each of the churches, and we finish up today. And we've learned a lot through this series, right? We've talked about the state of churches where we are today. A lot of churches are just fumbling. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they're doing. They're trying different things. They're consumed with all sorts of, uh, of different things, um, sidetracked by different things. And Dwight Gunter talks a lot about that, about some of the things that churches are consumed by. And we, we want to make sure we know who we are. We, the purpose of this series is that we need to know who we are and what we are to do as the people of God. We've talked about our vision and our mission, and this series has been about our foundation, our identity in Christ, what He says we are to be about as His church, as His body. And the reason this is important is because if we don't know who we are, then we're not going to know what we're supposed to do. And what's happened in a lot of churches, what will happen if we don't know who we are is that we're going to try anything and everything to be effective, whatever we can think of. And that's just going to result in confusion. And and, uh, our Lord Jesus is not about confusion. He is not the author of confusion. He wants his church to know their identity, to know our identity, and to know what we are to do. And today, we look at the last letter to the church at Laodicea. And we're just going to read through this letter, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. We'll read through it together, all the way through to the end of the chapter, through verse 22. Beginning in verse 14. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing, and you don't know that you are wretched and poor, blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and in, in your shameful nakedness not be exposed, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be committed and repent. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and have dinner with him and he with me. The victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says. Laodicea, a little background, as with all of these, Laodicea was located about six miles from Colossae, the letter to the Colossians, that city. They were about six miles away. It was founded in 250 B.C. by a king named Antiochus, and it was named for his wife. Laodicea was named for her. It was originally designed, the city was, to be a fortress city. The problem was there wasn't a great source of water. Water had to be piped in from surrounding areas. So it turned out it wasn't a great location to have a fortress, uh, the lack of, of water there. So it became known for three characteristics. The first was for its wealth. It became a very wealthy city. It was the center for banking in the entire region. Of Asia. It was filled with expensive large homes. And in AD 60, the city was almost destroyed by an earthquake. But in order to rebuild, they were so wealthy, they refused, the citizens refused to receive aid from Rome uh, because they had so much money they were able to rebuild it themselves. Very wealthy. It was also known for its commercial life. It was a very productive clothing industry there. They had a special breed of sheep that produced a very valuable wool. It was a black, dark, silky, sleek wool. And they would take this wool and, as you can imagine, uh, weave all sorts of fancy clothes that were very expensive. And so the sale of this clothes is part of the reason they were so very wealthy, but they were known as a commercial area. Finally, Laodicea was known as a medical city. It was acclaimed for medical knowledge. They produced a remarkable eye and ear salve. And people would come from all over uh, to, to buy this salve. And students would come to learn in Laodicea, learn medicine. Uh, and they would learn about this, the, the use of this salve specifically. You're familiar probably with this picture of the medical symbol. You've seen this before, right? This is believed by historians to be a symbol of the city of Laodicea originally. Uh, originally, it was uh, they were. It was a symbol, a sign of their medical god, just like many of these other cities. They would worship idols, and this was a symbol that they would worship. Uh, it is the medical symbol that's used now. And if you use that, you're not practicing idol worship as long as you don't worship it yourself, but it was their symbol. Uh, and so that's, that's where it's believed to have originated from, was the city that we're reading about here in the book of Revelation. Uh, so you could say... That Laodicea was a Bank of America, a Nordstrom, and a Mayo Clinic all rolled into one. A lot going on here. Very wealthy, uh, very well to do city, uh, a very upper class city. Many things positive going on here, a lot of good things. But they had one big problem, and it was a big, big problem. The church at Laodicea, the Christians there, were guilty of what we call lukewarm. Christianity. Uh, they were lukewarm in their faith. And as we learn, nothing makes Jesus sicker than that. Um, and he talks about that, and we'll read about the dangers of that. As believers, there's some, some there, we know that we're called to live for the Lord. You know, in life, there are things that, that we just don't like lukewarm, right? We don't like drinks lukewarm, at least I don't. Uh, we don't like showers lukewarm, you know, that's those aren't pleasant. Food is not good lukewarm. I mean, there's some food meant to be eaten cold, some meant to be eaten hot, but lukewarm, just yeah, it's not great. There's some things. Some things are nice lukewarm. You know, where it's spring, a nice warm spring afternoon on the back porch, maybe that's that's good. But in in terms of eating, there's not really anything I can think of that I would choose to have uh, lukewarm. And so uh, Jesus talks about that and relates it to lukewarm to christianity to living for the lord we should be on fire for the lord and a quick look at the realities of lukewarm christianity will help us regain that fire or help us avoid slipping into lukewarm christianity first we need to acknowledge the seriousness of lukewarm christianity that's what he's talking about this is the danger this is the problem in the church at laodicea so we need to know why it's so serious in order to do this, we need to understand what it means to be a lukewarm Christian. Look at verse 15. Again, Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. Now, in the previous verse, he identifies himself as the Amen. The word Amen points to a significant truth. It's, it's, it's basically saying, I believe, or it is true. It is, it is emphasizing the truth. Of What's just been said in the gospel of John, especially in the King James version? You're going to see the phrase verily verily I say unto you Jesus uses that phrase Often and he uses it to emphasize the truth of what he's about to say This is true pay attention to what I'm saying in the new international Version that phrase is translated. I tell you the truth So if there's any doubt what I'm about to say to you is true pay attention in the original Greek text, though, the phrase is actually two words. Can you guess what those? that word, one word repeated twice? It is the word amen. Amen, amen. This is true. Pay attention. And so when Jesus identifies himself as the amen, he's saying he is the truthful one. What he's saying can be trusted. What I'm about to tell you is 100% absolutely true it also means it indicates the final word what do we say at the end of a prayer we say amen let it be i believe i mean it is it is truth it is the final word so he's saying what i'm about to say is true and guess what i have the final word he does jesus has the final word god himself not anybody else he has the final word which means Whatever you're going through, that's not the final word. Cancer does not have the final word. Doctors, as good as they are, do not have the final word. Circumstances. At work, your boss doesn't have the final word. You should respect your boss, but he doesn't have the final word. If you're in a difficult circumstance, which we all have been for quite a while now, that's not the final word. Jesus has the final word. What he says is what matters, and what he says to us is what matters, both the positive and the warnings, right? And there's a warning here for this church. He's serious. He's saying, listen, you need to pay attention because what I'm telling you is true, and what I say matters because I have the final word. No one else. Pay attention to what I'm saying, Jesus has the last word. He is the amen. What he says is significant, true, and it will happen. You can bank on it. He also identifies himself as the faithful and true witness. Now, a witness is somebody who's seen something, and they are reporting. So there's some credibility there. Now, you use a witness because they saw the event. So, you know, there's a question always of whether or not there's, the witness is credible or not, but Jesus has already established his credibility, Right. He is he what he's saying is true He has the final word. He is the faithful one. He is a witness who is credible He's establishing his authority here to make the statements that he's about to make about this church He's saying I gave the church life So I have the right to speak And i'm faithful and true. He identifies himself as the ruler of creation too, right? So I i'm the one that created you I created everything, I gave the church its life, I established the church, I'm faithful, I'm true, I had the last word. He's, He's establishing his credibility before them. He's saying, you need to pay attention to what I'm about to say because it is true. He says, I know your works, verse 15. Unlike all the other letters, there's not even a hint of commendation in this letter. At least when we looked at Sardis, there were a few people that were faithful, right? Just a few. And, you know, that's not great, but it's something. There's not even a hint of commendation here. This church is in bad shape, rough shape. These people are just going through the motions. They're not living for the Lord. They're just they're straddling the fence, trying to live with a, a foot in both worlds. And, and Jesus calls them out on it. He doesn't pull any punches There's there's nothing good Identified in this letter happening at the church at laodicea They have the infamous distinction of being the only church where there's not anything positive said about them So what's the problem? When we say that they are lukewarm, what exactly does that mean? Well, their problem was really one of self-image jesus identifies some of their problems Uh, They thought they were rich which they were materially wealthy, but they were poor spiritually. They thought they could see, and you know, they had knowledge, but they really couldn't see. They couldn't see spiritual things. They were blind, he says. They thought they could hear, but he's saying, You're deaf. You, you're not listening to my voice. They thought they were well-dressed, which materially they were. They had these fine linens, but they were shamefully naked. Spiritually speaking, they suffered from what we're going to call identity blindness. They did not see themselves as God saw them. They had a picture of themselves. They had a view of themselves, but they didn't see themselves through God's eyes. They didn't see themselves as they really were. They didn't have a good picture. And in verse 17, Jesus says, you don't know. And that word literally means to see. He's saying you can't even see your actual condition. You don't know how you really are. You think you do, but you don't see yourself the way that I see you. Let me tell you, he's saying, how you really are. Let me enlighten you as to your condition. And we too can suffer from that same spiritual blindness, and it really comes in two different forms, which are completely different. One is this idea that we think we're rich, like the Laodiceans. We think we have it all together. We have everything that we need. We, we, we're doing all the right things. We're, we're just fine on our own, and that's spiritual blindness. The other is we, we don't look at ourselves as being valuable. Uh, we don't even think that we're valuable to God. That's another spiritual blindness. We don't see our value in God. Well, the first is the problem that the Laodiceans have. They think they've got it all together, and they really don't. and they're blind to the fact that they're in really really bad shape spiritually so jesus shows them he tells them that they are neither hot nor cold now you've probably heard this sermon preached and i'll admit i have in the past preached it this way and it could be that it should be interpreted this way you've preached it as hot being on fire for god right and cold being just ice cold against the lord And then lukewarm, just being trying to be somewhere in the middle, neither hot nor cold. But the more I study this, and the more I understand the context of this, I think it's possible Jesus had a different meaning. Let me explain to you what what I'm talking about. I think hot means actually good for healing. Because the word actually means boiling water. What do you boil water for? One of the reasons is to sterilize. And if you are in Laodicea at this time, about six miles away... In a town, there were, were, were hot springs. And people would go to these hot springs. They would be bubbling up from the ground underneath. Hot springs they would go because it would soothe ailments that they have. I immediately think of President Roosevelt. He would go to Warm Springs, Georgia. Had a home there because the warm water eased the pain that he had from polio, the effects of polio. This was, they had one of these hot springs, and so their minds would have immediately gone to that. Those, that, that, the healing powers of these warm springs. And so if that's the picture, if someone, if Jesus is trying to draw their attention to that, he's talking about being good for healing. This is someone who, yes, does have a heart that's on fire for God, but is actively involved in the ministry of reconciliation. They are a healing agent that God uses to draw people to himself which we all should be, right? We should be actively a part of that. So I believe that when he's saying, I wish you were hot, he's saying, I wish you were actually sharing the gospel, that you were an agent of healing, that you were, you were providing healing, but you're not doing that. You're not, you're not on fire for me. You're not sharing the gospel. You're not doing any of those things. And this can only come, becoming an agent of healing, becoming on fire for God can only come when I have an intimate knowledge and an active relationship, a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about the disciples after encountering Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, 32, they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Encounters with Jesus produce that, don't they? They produce a burning within you, a fire. You get excited about it. You think about when you first become a Christian, you're excited, you want everybody to know. When you have an encounter with God in a, in, a, in a very powerful way and he speaks clearly to you, you're on fire, you want everybody to know. The challenge as a believer is to maintain that fire, and it's hard. Life gets in the way. Life gets difficult. Circumstances happen, but that doesn't change the fact that we are called to be actively involved in bringing healing to our world. We don't do the healing, but we are agents that God uses. And Jesus is saying, you guys aren't doing your job. You're not, you're, you're not hot at all. You're lukewarm. And so he's saying, you're not good for healing. And then cold. We usually say this means, you know, you're running from God. But what if Jesus meant something different? About six miles in another direction, there were ice cold artesian springs, bubbling springs, that people would drink from and get refreshed, so just what if he 's saying, "I wish you were cold, I wish you were good for refreshing Now, what makes water cold? running water right if you 've been we went right water rafting with the students a while back, and i 've never been to Okoe and gotten in that water and not just about frozen when I mean middle of the summer it 's freezing cold water. Why is that the water 's running down the mountain right it 's constantly moving, and so it 's constantly. Being refreshed is constantly being changed, and, and and these springs would bubble up from underneath, and they were it was running, flowing water, and people would be refreshed by this water. And so what if Jesus is saying, I wish you were a, an agent of healing, and I wish you were for refreshing to me, but you're neither. I wish you were actively moving and serving and engaged in ministry, and if you were doing that, you would be refreshing to me and to the people you came into contact with, but you're not doing that. You're not healing nor refreshing. You're just, you're just lukewarm. I believe that's what he's trying to say because I believe everybody listening, when he said hot or cold, that's where the sources of water nearby were and their minds would have went to those two things. But they were neither, neither hot nor cold. He says they are lukewarm, which if hot means good for healing and cold means good for refreshing, lukewarm means they're good for nothing. They're just not doing anything. They're not either they're just trying to be somewhere in the middle and you you can't always do that Maybe jesus saying I wish you were good for healing I wish you were good for refreshing, but you're not you're neither. They were comfortable. They were complacent and they didn't realize they did He says you're blind. You don't even see it. You don't even recognize Your condition you don't need you don't see your need So what's the problem here? well, if they're lukewarm They're not good for healing, not good for refreshing. Or even if they are just, you know, hot or cold, even if it's the other interpretation, they're trying, they're doing more harm than they're doing good, right? So they're just in the middle. And part of the problem is that they're not fulfilling the mission that God's given them. We've talked about mission. We're talking about the purpose. The reason for this series is we want to know who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. They didn't have a clue. They didn't understand they didn't know their identity, and they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing as a church. And, and there's, there's a lesson for here. The bottom line is that they had excluded Jesus. They had locked him out of the church that he had built. They had closed the door, and they had locked it, and they weren't including him. There were all sorts of things. I'm sure, I'm sure there was so, a social club going on there. I'm sure there were good things happening, fellowship happening, all of these things, but Christ was no longer at the center of that church. And he was not directing that church because they weren't looking him. They were so blind they couldn't even see him. They were deaf. They couldn't hear him as he was trying to speak because they weren't listening. The church was strategically positioned and had plenty of resources to make an incredible impact for the kingdom of God, but they weren't doing that. They were basically, Jesus is saying, not basically, he's saying, right now you're good for nothing. You're not good to me. You're not doing anything for my kingdom. They had excluded Jesus. They kicked him out of his own church, and they had locked the door. Church, let's please never lock Jesus out of this church. Let's always keep him at the center. Let's, no matter what we do, listen, we're going we're gonna to do some things right, and we're going to get some things wrong because we're human. But let's always make sure that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness his will, his direction. That's my commitment as your pastor. And yeah, I'm going to get it wrong sometimes, but that's my heart. And that's my desire. That's my desire for my life. That's my desire for my family. And that's my desire, my desire for this church. I don't want, I don't ever want Jesus to stand in front of us and say, why have you locked me out? Let me back in. I'm knocking at this door and you will not let me in. May that never describe Wall Highway Baptist Church. It starts with you and me individually, though. We have to have him at the center of our lives. If he's not, if we don't have an active, growing fellowship that produces fruit in our lives, this visible fruit, no, we don't serve to get saved, but we serve because we're saved, right? And we show that, and we show our love for Christ. And if we're not serving and actively showing our fruit, then something's wrong. We, we're dead. We're, we're, we're lukewarm at best. And so we've got to keep Jesus at the center of our lives. And at the center of this church. Whatever we do, it must always, always, always be about Jesus. Always. If it's not, then we're good for nothing. We're lukewarm. We're not hot. We're not refreshing. Or if you want the other interpretation, we're not hot, we're not cold, running away from God. We're just lukewarm. And that puts us in danger. And this is probably best seen in the consequences. And that's why we need to appreciate the consequences of lukewarm Christianity. One of them is discipline. Jesus is going to discipline them. I mean, they are his. Remember, he's talking to believers here, okay? Or at the very least, people professing to be. But he's talking to, these are letters to the churches. This is his body. These are believers. And so he's talking to Christians who are not practicing their faith. And so he's going to discipline them. Don't miss the warning. He's saying, I'm here. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. Verse 16 specifically says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Nobody likes that, right? No, nobody asks for a stomach bug. Now, I don't know anybody that does. You don't vomit unless something's really wrong, Okay. Something's made you sick. You've taken something in that is, you shouldn't have taken in, or you've got something wrong on the inside. And Jesus is saying to this church, You guys, I'm the Amen. I'm the faithful one. I'm the true witness. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the creator of this church. It is my church. And you guys are making me sick. So there's going to be discipline. That's what he's saying to the church at Laodicea. You're going to pay for, there are going to be consequences. They can be restored, but there are going to be consequences. Another consequence is disillusionment. He wouldn't discipline if, they, if he didn't love them, by the way. That's why he's going to this trouble. If he didn't care, he wouldn't, write, wouldn't have written this letter, sent this letter to them, this messenger to them. But he did because he loves them. Another consequence is disillusionment. Look at verse 17. Because you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't know that you're wretched, pitiful. For poor, blind, and naked. They thought they were rich, but they were actually poor. They, they were proud of their ministry. They'd begun to judge themselves by human standards instead of God's standards. Spiritual standards. And they were disillusioned. And we face the same danger. If we ever start to judge what we do based on our standards versus God's standards, then we can become confused and spiritually blind. Death is another consequence. In verse 18, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and shameful naked, uh, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. An ointment to spread on your eyes, calling attention to the ointment they were known for. Spreading on your eyes so that you can see. They were blind. The apostle Paul teaches us that whenever a believer when a believer is not growing in his or her faith, they are in danger of being blind. They can't, they don't have spiritual vision to be able to see the things of God. And that's, that's what's happening here. And and we see uh, Peter addresses that as well. But Paul specifically talks about his, his uh, spiritual blindness. I mean, again, you know, if you can't, if you can't see, if you don't, if you're not aware of God's presence in your life, then you're not going to be able to know what he wants you to do. And the result of not knowing what he wants you to do is inactivity, right? Which is the lukewarmness that they are experiencing. And then that results in spiritual death. And that was, again, one of their consequences. But Peter, in Second Peter uh, 1, 5 through 9, he finishes verse 9 talking about vision, short-sighted and blind. But, but look at that, all of those verses. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge. He's talking about knowledge that produces fruit. He goes on. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness. And with godliness, brotherly affection. All of these things should go together, he's saying. This is evidence that you are a child of God. The more you grow brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But verse 9, those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. They're so blind, they're not even thinking about their salvation because it's not at the forefront. Again, they can't see. They're not aware of God's presence in their life. They don't know what they are to be about. That results, that results in inactivity, which results in a form of death. There are different kinds of death. I and, mean, you, you know, there's death of a relationship. There's actual physical death. And there is death in terms of inactivity when it comes to our spiritual. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It just means that you're not active. Your relationship with Christ might as well be dead because you're not growing, and you're not communicating, and you're not aware of his presence. So look at that term lukewarm again. Remember, there was no source of drinking water in Laodicea. That's why it wasn't a good fortress. So they would have to pipe in water from outside sources. Think about the two I just mentioned. You've got the hot source on one end, the cold source on another. It's both six miles away. What do you think that water becomes by the time it gets to Laodicea? Lukewarm, but that's all they had. But you know they were thinking about that whenever he mentioned that. I mean, nobody likes lukewarm. I mean, think about it. I've got a couple of drinks here today, all right? One, let's say you like a good hot drink. I've got some nice piping hot coffee in here. I love a good cup of coffee in the morning, and it's still good and hot. You'll probably see the steam start to rise. You see that? See the steam rising? It's good and hot. Nobody likes cold, well, some people like cold coffee. I don't like, I like maybe cold coffee that's supposed to be, but coffee that's been sitting out a while that's cold, yeah, it's not good. But I prefer a good hot cup of coffee, and I, I love to start my day with a cup of coffee. I've also got some ice-cold water here. Yeti's, one of the, there's one of the miracle inventions, modern-day miracles, right? And it's, it's probably going to make a mess, but there's water. i got ice-cold water here, all right? So you've got two choices so far. You can either have a nice hot cup of coffee, a nice ice-cold glass of water. I also have some peach Fanta that's been sitting out for almost two days now. (laughs) Seriously, it's been sitting out. I saved it just for this. It's probably not, no, it's not going to fizz at all. It's flat, it's lukewarm, and it's stale. All right, so... Just pretend you like Peach Fanta. I don't know if you do or not. It's not my favorite, but I'll drink it. They love it, some of the kids at least. So you've got your choice of these three. Which are you choosing? Somebody's going to choose the Fanta just to be weird. I'm telling you right now. But if you're honest, if you love a hot cup of coffee, you're going to choose that, right? Or if it's cold outside, nice hot, hot chocolate, something warm to warm you up on the inside. You've been working all day outside. Nothing's better than a nice ice-cold glass of water, right? Maybe you like iced tea, sweet tea. It has to be sweet in Alabama, right? One of those. Nobody's reaching for the lukewarm Fanta that's been sitting on the counter for two days. It's just not happening, I mean, unless something's wrong with you. And if you do, we need to talk, all right? I need to introduce you to some of the finer things of life. But nobody's choosing that because it's just not good. It's going to make, you're going to spit it out. It's just, not, it's just not good, and that's what Jesus is saying here. I mean, again, you put yourself in that you know, first century, in that context. He's saying lukewarm. That's all they deal with is lukewarm water, and they're probably not real thrilled about it. You know, they probably had ways around it. You know, Of course, they would heat it up or whatever, but they w- would have immediately thought of what their water was because that's the only source they had. And so Jesus is saying, you know how that lukewarm water, you know, it makes you want to spit it out. That's what you make me feel like right now. You're, good, you're not good to me right now. You're, I love you. That's why I'm doing this. But you're not doing anything good. You know, again, I enjoy a drink, hot or cold. And, you know, any drink, if you leave it alone, is going to turn into lukewarm. That's why the waitress, you know, hot, warms up your coffee for you at the restaurant or keeps pouring iced tea or ice water in your glass because if you leave it it eventually it stabilizes and then without an outside source it's not going to be cold or hot i mean boiling water will cool unless fire keeps it boiling you know refrigerant in a freezer will eventually warm up unless electricity keeps it cold and you gotta you gotta have something some source of energy and just like that we need to have something outside of ourselves keeping us going and that's the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that only comes from an active, intimate relationship with him. So we need to avoid the sin of lukewarm Christianity. We need to avoid it. We, need to, we, don't, need to find, we don't want to find ourselves on the wrong side of a rebuke like the church at Laodicea. And if you're a lukewarm Christian, maybe that's describing you today. Maybe you're not in, you wouldn't consider yourself in as bad a shape as them, but maybe you know you're not living as you should. You're not an agent of healing necessarily, so you're not being faithful in that area. You're not refreshing to, to other people, to God, and to others. Maybe you're just somewhere in the middle, and you know something needs to change, and you don't, you want to avoid being in the, the situation that this church is in. And so, if you're a lukewarm Christian, you need to be cleansed, and that begins with repentance, as a church word. We've we become scared of church words. But that's a good one that we need to know. Because it means to turn from your sin and to turn to the only one who can rescue you from your sin and can heal you from your sin. Talking about an agent of healing, he is the healer. Jesus Christ died for your sins. You don't have to be trapped in sin. You can turn away from sin and turn to him and receive restoration and forgiveness and power over that sin. But even as believers, we fall on our face and we struggle with sin. That flesh is still there. And we struggle, and there are times where we fall flat on our face, and we need to repent. We're not getting saved again, but we we sure do need to repent and turn back to the one who saved us and receive that that power that comes from victory that he's given us over sin. And if you're a lukewarm Christian, that's the first step, repentance. And that's what he tells the church to do in verse 18. He says, you need ointment to spread on your eyes that you may see. That ointment you're known for isn't going to cut it. (laughs) You need my ointment is what he's saying. You need to spread it so you can see. You need healing. You need to turn from your sin and turn back to me so that you can see once again. He simply wants us, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're dealing with, maybe you don't know him at all. You're not saved. All he wants, what he wants is for you to come to him just turn to him. You don't have to go all the way. It's the picture of the prodigal son. The father saw him from a long way off and girded up his loins in full sprint to his son. God will do that for you if you will turn to him sincerely in repentance. And that's what we need to do. If you're struggling today, that's what you need to do. That's what he wants you to do, is to turn back to him or to turn to him for the first time if you haven't. And he says, I will cover your shameful ways. You won't have to be naked and ashamed anymore. I will cover you. I will make it to where you can see. You will hear my voice, and I will restore you. I will make you whole again. He's saying, right now, you're not good for anything, but I will make you good for something. I will make you complete. You're incomplete because you've locked me out of the church, but if you let me in, I'll make you whole again. I'll make you complete. But we have to turn to him. There's also cleansing through rebuke. Look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed and repent. He punishes us because he loves us. I've already stated that, but I'm going to say it again. He, he, you know, we may think he's being harsh here, but you know, the reason he's doing this is because he cares about them. If he didn't, he'd just let them you know, wander off into lukewarmness. <laughs> be good for nothing forever. But he loves them, so he's, he's, he cares enough to discipline and sometimes, just like in John 9, as Jesus did with the blind man, sometimes there's an irritation before there's, there's healing. Because we've got to learn a lesson. Or we've, you know, we've made a mistake or whatever. And so we need to learn from that so we don't repeat it. And, and there's discipline that comes with many times, a rebuke that comes with it. And, and sometimes that, that comes in the form of suffering. Now, sometimes we suffer for reasons that are not caused by anything that we've done, but sometimes we suffer because of things that we've brought on ourselves. And nothing teaches a believer like suffering, regardless of what caused it. And Jesus knows, just like when we discipline our kids, we don't like to cause them pain, but we know that pain will cause them to learn whether it's physical or emotional. They need to learn, and, and pain teaches. teaches It's a great teacher, and Jesus knows that, and he will use it if need be. Nothing makes us learn. Nothing makes us examine our hearts like suffering. There's also cleansing through receiving. They had to receive forgiveness they were being offered. They had to turn to him in repentance. They had to be willing to admit their need, admit their sin, but then they've got to receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift that we have to receive. And here's a beautiful truth, though. Jesus loves us enough to meet us where we are and to give us the forgiveness we need to restore us. And then we have a choice. Verse 20, he says, Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and have dinner with him and he with me. Now, we've used this verse time and time again for evangelism, and that's fine, but that's not the original intent. This is to a group of believers who have locked him out of, their, out of his church, out of their hearts, out of their lives. Now think about that drink again. And, I mean, the ice is already starting to melt. Hadn't been out of the Yeti for five minutes. It's already starting to melt. I've got to add more for it to stay cold. That coffee's already started to cool. I've got to add more, a source of heat, in order to stay warm. And Jesus is saying, I'm standing knocking. I am your source. You want to be on fire for me? You want to be refreshing? You need to let me in. You've got to let me back in your life. Put me at the center of your life, the center of this church, and you will be on fire for me. You will be refreshing to myself and to others. You will be everything that I've intended for you to be, but you've got to let me in. By yourself, you make me sick. (laughs) You're lukewarm. We need him. He is our source. Our source of what? Our source for everything. Without him, we are good for nothing. Without him, we are nothing, and we need him desperately. He's saying, Listen, I'm here. I'm willing to come in if only you'll open the door. And listen, if you are not a believer, this verse applies. He's knocking at your, the door of your heart for the first time, and he is willing to come in if you will let him in. He won't force himself on you, but if you will invite him into your life and receive the forgiveness he offers, he will cleanse you from sin and save you, set you apart, and make you a part of his family, his forever family. That's the invitation. The promise is if we remain faithful on fire for God, we will eventually be rewarded. And the reward is eternal. Jesus talks about eating together, fellowship. But look at how close this fellowship is. Look at verse 21 and 22. The victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The relationship between the Father and the Son, he's saying that intimacy, that same relationship, that same closeness is available to us. We can have a closeness with the Father just like Jesus and the Father, are one. We can have intimacy with Christ, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your situation is, no matter what's behind door number one, door number two, door number three, or whatever door you've locked Jesus out of, he will come in and he will make your life meaningful. He will give you purpose and he will give you a relationship with him that does not compare in any way to any other relationship you have in your life. He wants you to know Him. And He gives you the opportunity to do that. You get the experience of being known by Him. He already knows you better than you know yourself, but you may be blind to that, just as these believers were. There's glory and there's joy in the experience of a relationship with Christ. And we can experience that. We can have that if we will trust Him. It says, if you'll just open the doors, I'll come in. We can fellowship together. We can be one and I will do in you what needs to be done to accomplish my purpose. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, Paul says this. He says, it's a trustworthy statement. For if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. There's great reward for living for Jesus. Warren Weersby says, the letters to the seven churches are God's x-rays given to us so that we might examine our own lives and ministries. Judgment is going to come to this world, but first, it first begins at God's house, 1 Peter four seventeen. In these letters, we find both encouragement and rebuke. We need to evaluate our own lives, allow the Holy Spirit to judge our hearts. And a question, simple question to ask all of us, we need to ask ourselves, have we locked Jesus out of any area of our lives? Have we locked him out? Is there an area that you're holding on to that, God, I'll give you the rest, but you can't have this. This one's mine. He's standing at the door, knocking. Will you let him in? It's okay to say who's there when Jesus knocks. It's not a joke. It's an invitation. He wants to come in if you will let him in. Is there some area of life? Have you locked him out? Pray about that area give it to him open that door whatever door you've closed i guarantee you he can handle it better than you can i know he can and these letters wherever each church was on its journey wherever they were jesus spoke directly to them in their situation and to the specific part of that church that needed restoration and those that were commended he spoke he 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 dealt with the challenges they faced right he spoke to them where they are. He knew where they are. He knew because he was there with them. He was in their midst. And he told them, here's where you are. Here's where you need to be. Here's your next step. And he's doing the same for us. He gives us our next step. He tells us what we need to do. He may not give us the full plan, you know, the, the, the whole game plan, but he gives us our next step if we trust him, if we follow him, if we're in fellowship with him. Dwight Gunner combined the message of all these letters. I've mentioned his name a good bit, a great resource on these letters. He he combined the message of all these letters, and he wrote what he he thinks would be Jesus' letter to the the 21st century church. And that's what we're going to conclude our series with and our message today with. Make no mistake, he's not adding to the Word of God. He's just taking the message of all these letters and kind of summarizing it. He's not claiming that this is an addition to the word of God. He's just summarizing it. And I think it's, I think it's very applicable. He's rolling it all together, all seven messages. And I think it would be benefit, beneficial for us to close with this. Dear church, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I was from the beginning and I will be until the end. I've defeated the power of evil and have triumphed over death. My Father is holy love. I'm the expression of his holy love in the world. I see you, I know you by name, and I love you. I will never change. I am. I know where you live, I know your circumstances, I know the temptations that you face. I'm aware of the evil that dwells in the world, and I'm familiar with the sin that surrounds you. I know everything that you are doing amidst all your struggles. And I know that while some of you are holding fast to my grace and provision, some of you have taken it upon yourselves to chart your own course. Do not be mistaken. Apart from me, you could do nothing. If you move out ahead of my will or in a direction I have not chosen for you, you will fail miserably. All of your efforts to prosper without my empowerment will be for nothing. And I will not bless the plans or programs that have not come from my divine will. If you do not demonstrate my love to all those around you, the door of opportunity to be a light in a dark and dying world will be closed. I've called you to glorify my name, not your own. I'm your source of strength, your foundation, your direction, and your future. I'm totally sufficient for everything that you need. With my presence, power, and will, there is no mission that you cannot Accomplish. I have called you to carry my love into the world by the presence and the power of my Holy Spirit. And what I have chosen you to do, I will equip you to complete. Whatever you need, I will provide. Hold fast to my promises. I will never abandon you or forsake you. I will be constantly at your side to guide and protect you. Whoever is faithful in following me will reap the rewards of an abundant and eternal life. I will write upon you the name of my Father. You will be my people and will dwell with me in the house of the Lord forever. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. May God help us to hear what the Spirit is saying today to Wall Highway Baptist Church and to us as individuals as a part of that body. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your message. Thank you that you cared enough. Yes, these were individual, real, specific churches, but they also represent every church in every age. We can identify many points in these letters, and thank you for caring enough to send this message to us. I pray that we would hear it, that we would receive it, and that we would respond accordingly, respond in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. Lord, we know that you are... Eager and willing to be a part of our lives. And there, there may be some out there today, you're knocking on the door of their heart for the first time. Or this is the first time they've, they've recognized it. You're bringing them under conviction of their sin. They don't even understand all of what they're feeling right now. But they know, like all of us, that they've done things wrong. And they've done things that displease you. And they can hear you knocking. They can hear your voice calling them to yourself. And if they're here in this building or at home watching, what I want them to know is that all they have to do is respond to you and invite you into their lives to ask for forgiveness of sin, and you will welcome them into your family. Lord, help them to know that we can can give them instructions on what to do next, but right now, if you are calling them, you don't need me, you don't need my words. You are sufficient. Your voice is all that's needed. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak to their hearts. Draw them to yourself. And I pray they would respond. For those of us who are your children, I pray that we would not be lukewarm. That we would be on fire for you. Healing agents actively participating in the ministry of reconciliation that we would be refreshing to you and to people around us, that we would be a breath of fresh air to the world around us and to the people that we come into contact, both inside your church and out. Lord, may we never be found in the middle. We want to be used by you. We want to be a part of your kingdom work. And if there's anything standing in the way of that, Lord, I pray that we would lay it down right now. If there's an area of our lives that we've locked you out of, I pray that we would open that door right now, that we would turn it over to you, that we would ask for forgiveness, that we would repent, we would turn from that sin and turn to you and receive the restoration that you're willing to give. Lord, fill up those spaces in our life that we've closed off. Lord, may we open them up and fill them with your presence, your spirit. We know they're better off in your hands. We are better off in your hands. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your healing. Thank you for giving us purpose and direction as your body, as individuals. May we not waste it. In Jesus' name, amen.